Welcome to Discipleship Discussions on the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. Discipleship Discussions is a series of conversations aimed to help you and me move towards a culture of discipleship in our own lives by doing just that, discipleship, which is helping each other follow Jesus in all of life through the gospel. Helping us in our conversation today is Whitney Wollard. Whitney lives in Portland with her husband, Neil. They're both members at Hinson Bible Church. Whitney's a wonderful Bible teacher and author who's written for Gospel Coalition and Nine Marks and has much more, including some new video resources on the Book of Romans on her website, WhitneyWollard.com. And actually, interestingly enough, Whitney and I were classmates at Western Seminary. Uh, And uh, while I was there, I'm not sure if... Uh, Whitney was in Portland. I would just commute and attend classes once a semester. But my first interaction with Whitney was hearing a, 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 a woman who, as we were talking before this, confessed, likes to talk a lot. But what I heard was she was so passionate about the gospel, about God's word, about people understanding it. And so in God's providence, uh, we have been reconnected through Hinson and through Neil and and now here. So it's good to sit down with you, Whitney, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much, Tyler. I, I remember that class. It was a it was a Kingdom of God class, I believe. Was that was it that the one that was on the Kingdom of God, I believe? I think we we had multiple classes together. Um but uh, I think there was a biblical theology type one. That yeah, we uh, it was a yeah. biblical theology, I believe, of the kingdom of God. It was, yeah, it was very excellent uh, to be in that class. You're right. There was a couple. There was a couple there. And so, yes, great to uh, have met you, be in class with you, and uh, great to be here on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So what we like to do is we like to reinforce for ourselves uh, what it is we're talking about when we're talking about discipleship, because sometimes discipleship can become so concrete that it feels like unless we have lots of letters after our names, we can't actually do it. Or it can become so vague that we think sitting down and watching Netflix with our uh, non-Christian neighbor is discipleship. Um, And so our definition we use at Sovereign Hope kind of includes four parts. It is helping each other follow Jesus in all of life, through the gospel. And one thing we always like to ask people is, is how do you think through and categorize discipleship? Although I think we're going to have a remarkably similar definition because on your website, you call yourself a follower of Jesus who loves helping other people follow Jesus. Um, so, (laughs) So how do you think through that in your life as to this is what I am aiming for when I'm talking about discipleship and my responsibility of following Jesus? Absolutely. And definitions are so important. It, It is so good to clarify. Um, what we mean by saying these things, because you're absolutely, absolutely right. I, I, I feel like we've kind of fallen to, um, without knowing what discipleship is, uh, I tell people if everything is discipleship, you know, then nothing is discipleship. And at the same time, if nothing is discipleship, then unfortunately nothing is discipleship, but absolutely. Right. I love, I love your guys's definition. Mine, mine comes very close to that. I just think it's, it's intentionally helping others trust and follow Jesus. Mm. So, um, uh, that that just being intentional, that intentionality, and we can get into it later. I think I think you could be watching Netflix and discipling someone, or I think you could be in that exact same scenario, watching Netflix and not discipling someone. And and I can explain that more later. But I, it, it comes down to I think that intentionality. So intentionally helping someone trust, because that's the first stage um, in the Great Commission when Jesus gives us that first stage is really bleeds into evangelism. It starts right there in leading someone to Christ. So helping them trust in Christ and then to follow him in, in all of life. 
And if I want to give my wordy definition, because you said I like to talk a lot, I, <laughs> I sometimes add, you know, um, seeking to do spiritual good to someone at great cost to yourself. Mm, and that that just adds in more uh, of of the information we get from Jesus in the Gospels about about what that looks like to be a, a disciple of him, which is to take up your cross and to follow him, to be willing to lose your life for the sake of others. I think of off the top of my head, Mark 10, you know, 42 through 45, when Jesus says, you know, he, he came to be a servant of all. I think we get more and more of, uh, of what that, what discipleship looks like. And a piece of that is, is losing your own life and sacrificing your comforts, your convenience, um, your, your, uh, likes, you know, everything, um, for the sake of serving and helping others. So, um, yeah, I think, I think really, we we line up exactly just as saying in, a, in slightly different words in, in, in discipleship, but yes, uh, intentionally helping others trust and follow Jesus, seeking to do spiritual good um, to them at, at cost to yourself. That's really good. And, and I like those qualifiers you add at the end, because one thing that we're always after with our definition of discipleship is we want it to be simple in that people aren't intimidated by discipleship. Jesus didn't, he gave us something which is intimidating because of our flesh, not because it's, it's uh, impossible for us to do. Sure, uh, yeah. But, but we also want it to be clear where the simplicity it gives enough clarity where you know what it looks like to move forward. And that's one thing we've actually been discussing um, with some of the other pastors here is how can we, uh, add to or amend our definition to actually give clear statements of what that growth looks like. And, and you're getting at that where you're really just, you know, articulating not only great commission, but, but uh, greatest commandment language in there of loving yeah. God and loving others and yeah. the means of that being service. So I think all those things are really helpful as we frame the actual impact, not only, um, because a good definition, uh, which I like, and I'm using yours now, uh, not only frames our mind, uh, our mind, which is the first part of your definition, but actually frames our actions, which is the second part of your definition. Um, and so that's really helpful. So one question I have for you, Whitney, is, um, and maybe this kind of blends a little bit into your testimony of, you know, when you came to Christ, but when were you first aware that someone in your life was helping you follow Jesus. And sometimes that happens in the moment where it's just so clear it clicks, or sometimes we look back and we say, man, that I see what that person was doing that whole time. Yes, absolutely. Um, you are exactly right. And we haven't even talked about this previously, but the first um, time that someone really discipled me was the person who led me to Christ. And not everyone gets that experience, but it is a very sweet thing when you when you get that, when the person who leads you to Christ also really begins to disciple you and show you what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's such a sweet thing when you get to do that for be that person in someone else's life. Um, but sometimes that doesn't go hand in hand and that's just up to um, the Lord, how he works those things out. But so I was coming up on 16. Um, I, I was right before my 16th birthday uh, bef and I was not a believer uh, I was really wild. Uh, think of me and all my personality, but without knowing Christ or having <laughs> any sanctification, I was, I was dead in my sins, absolutely, and enjoying every bit of it. And uh, my cousin, who he was a youth pastor at the time, he also had um, been on a pretty wild path and then was out of my life for a while. And then one day showed up on my doorstep 
Uh, and he was a Christian now. And he wasn't just a Christian, but he was a youth pastor. And he just, long story short, inserted himself into my life. Mm. Um, I couldn't really get away from it. I think I tried for a while, but he inserted himself into my life. And he began um, spending time with me and sharing the gospel with me. He began talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He began began to make it incredibly clear that that this news of salvation that Jesus substituted himself in in our place for our sins, you know, penal substitution, he didn't use those words, but he began to make it very clear that this was something that Christ had done for me and I was to receive it through faith and repentance. So he was constantly sharing the gospel with me and, and calling me to faith and repentance. Now, I didn't I don't have one moment where I, I don't have the exact spiritual birthday of when I became a Christian. But it was really over the course of one summer before my sophomore year of high school, where we just spent a ton of time together. And he was, it's interesting, and I think this is helpful for people to know, you can be evangelizing and discipling many ways at the same time, because they do bleed into each other. So even as he was evangelizing me, he was also spending time with me. He was showing me what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. He was living out the life of a disciple in front of me. He was calling me to follow Jesus and then telling me the cost of following Jesus, what that would mean. So at some point that summer, I gave my life to Jesus. I repented my sin, put my faith in Jesus, got baptized. And then from there, just really took off. I mean, um, talk about, uh, you know, hand to the plow, not turning back, just became radical mm. in my faith for Jesus. And in the next two years, my cousin, Sam, um, just shaped me and formed me as a disciple. And there's a few key things he did that I, I would love just to share, but yeah, please do. Um, I, 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 we can, you, if you have any clarifying questions there, you can jump in. No, let's hear them. Okay. Yeah. So, so a couple of things, because really, I think by telling you what he did is going to help you understand so much of what my discipleship has been up into where I'm at. Yeah. But Something that was so important is that he, one, he just shared the gospel and, and he um, called me to follow Jesus. He didn't just share it, um, but he made it clear that it was something that I, I had to take up my cross and follow Jesus. Mm. But then beyond that, what was so important that he did is, um, is he really like, he included me in his spiritual journey. He, he didn't wait for me to be a peer or to know all the Bible or to be the theologian. He was, he was in Bible school at the time. He included me in his walk with Jesus. And I think this is a huge part of demystifying discipleship mm. is, is that the conversations he was wrestling with, um, you know, uh, the, the, the things in his own life, sin issues, uh, repentance, um, love, uh, issues in the church. He didn't try to shield me from that. He, and, and rather he kind of just invited me into it. So he would pick me up for church, right? Cause no one in my family was, um, believers at the time. Uh, and none of my friends were believers. So I was in a totally sec secular environment and he would pick me up for church and we would be, I, I can remember us driving to church. He had this kind of white sports car and we'd be listening to Christian music. So all of this is super new to me. I don't know Christian music. I don't oh, know. Like, what are we talking like Sandy Patty? Are we talking? No, no, no. What are we no, talking okay. about here? This gives you my age. Actually, this gives you my age. We're talking like, um, Cademan's Paul and. Oh Ryan yeah. yeah. Okay. So like, I we're left to cashmere. Yeah. Yeah. All, like, right, I, all right. All right. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. I remember just like 
cruising down. We lived in the rural, so it was like a 30-minute drive to church, listening to, you know, jamming out to Reliant K. And, 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 and one, that in itself, you know, shaped me. Like, oh, we're supposed to listen to things that edify us. Okay, well, I came from like a huge rap background. Like, so is all my rap music like not right. – Totally helpful. I still it's love a rap. big shift from Tupac to Sadie Hawkins dance by Reliant K. Like that's. Yeah. Yeah. I still have mad respect for um, good rap and R and B, but, but just, he was just slowly teaching me. But I, one thing that stands out to my, in my mind, cause it's so simple. I think it's helpful is we'd be listening to something and he would stop it. And he'd be like, did you just hear that lyric? He's like, this is something I've been thinking about. Well, to get really specific, I, there was a song um, and I will not sing because that is my husband's job. I mean, I am tone deaf. I'm as tone deaf as they come. In fact, my speaking voice is horrible too. I'm apologize to everyone, but he, we were listening to Cadman's call and uh, there is a song where it says, sometimes I fear maybe I'm not chosen. My um, God's heart in my heart like Pharaoh. And he stopped the song and began to explain to me that they were talking about like Calvinism and what Calvinism was and explained to me the doctrines of grace. And I'm like, don't even know if I'm a believer, but he was wrestling with that. He was wrestling yeah. with the doctrines of grace. He was wrestling with, does this lyric, like these people are showing their hand that they're kind of like, Calvinism, you don't have, I'm not saying to disciple, you have to know about Calvinism. I'm talking about, he, he was wrestling with this idea if he was chosen or not by God before the foundation of the world. He was wrestling with a text like Ephesians 1, Romans 9. And rather than just shielding me from that, he invited me into that conversation. He, he wasn't scared to, to tell me about his sin and repent in front of me. When I was the big sinner, right? I was the one who was still coming out to go to church in mini skirts and a holster top. And he had to tell me I had to change because you can't wear that to church. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, you can't, that's news to me, you know? So, right. so rather than being like, he wasn't, he didn't build an expert culture where he was so above me. Clearly mm-hmm. he was, he was a youth pastor. He'd been a Christian for longer. He was clearly discipling me. He was clearly evangelizing me, but he never made me feel like a project. He invited me into where he was in the journey. He modeled faithful, being a faithful disciple in his own life. And that was probably one of the most profound things in me learning how to become a disciple, what it meant to follow Jesus. And then also just how I do discipleship with others. Um, I'm just not about the expert culture. I don't, I don't think that's helpful. I think it takes the whole church to make um, disciples of the whole church. So yes. I think we can all be discipling. I th- and I think one way we can just demystify that right off the bat is to invite people into your journey. If you If you are following Jesus in any capacity, that means there are things you're wrestling with. There's things you're repenting of. There's things you're learning in the word. And those are things you can just invite people into. Like, just have a conversation about it. stop the music and ask about a lyric. Um, talk about why we don't wear halter scarf, you know, halter tops and miniskirts to church. Uh, uh, to repent if you if you're a pastor and you repent. If you're a parent and you repent to your child and you explain why, you know what you are teaching them about what it means to be the lead repenter, following Jesus as someone who who still sins. So modeling and just inviting me into the journey was probably one of the most impactful things he did. Not not waiting for me to be at a certain level or take a class before I could do those things, trusting that I was a human. I was, you know, a a thinking, intellectual, um, heartfelt human who could engage these things. Well, and I think there's something unique in that too, to where, uh, 
<clears throat> like I love in the gospel accounts, Jesus is often aware that his disciples are uh, completely unaware of what's going on in that moment. And they, they always turn away from Jesus and discuss amongst themselves. Uh, but Jesus interjects. And I love that because we see that Jesus is okay with incomplete thoughts and he actually wants to join in them. He doesn't want, he doesn't wait for them to stop and have this discussion and come back fully informed. He actually interjects himself into the process and helps them get clarity. Now we're not Jesus when it comes to discipleship, but what that means is that it's okay bringing our incomplete thoughts uh, and grabbing others and going with Jesus to them uh, or going with them to Jesus. Sorry. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And we see in Jesus that Jesus, Jesus, who, of course, in some ways had, we could argue, had no need at all. Um, and when he came on earth to model what it was to be the, the truest human, what humanity was always supposed to look like, he showed us that, in fact, a true human does need others. So he brought his inner he brought his disciples into his hardest moments, and then he brought his inner three into his into his very deepest moments in, in in the garden when he was wrestling before the cross, and and he did that several different times. So all like what Jesus did, he he invited people on his when he would teach. Right, he was an, an itinerant preacher in many ways, a teacher, and and he brought them on those teaching journeys. That was another thing that was modeled for me first by Sam and then by the next person, um, a guy named Josh was a youth pastor I worked for who was highly influential, not just in my discipleship, but then in helping me understand my gifts and calling and flourishing in that was they would teach, they would take me with them when they would speak at events. They would take me with them when they did youth group events. They would take me with them when they did one-on-one um, -on -one discipleship, when they did pastoral calls. calls. They took me with them because they were mindful of, one, they had to do that anyways, but they were very mindful of my own gifts uh, of being a teacher and, and really feeling called to a pastoral ministry to first girls and then to women. Um, and so they saw opportunities to bring me into that. So they brought me into what they were doing, teaching, preaching, leading small groups, doing counseling, and they let me watch. And then afterwards we would talk about it and debrief. And that's, that's another key piece of what I've always done in discipleship is if I'm teaching somewhere, if I can bring some people, I'm already in an intentional relationship with me, I'm going to grab some gals and I'm going to bring them to that conference and that retreat. Right. Because not only will they be with me and be a blessing and help me and serve me. But then I can also in between, in between services, in between sets, in between teaching, we can debrief, we can talk. Um, and so I'm discipling them too. It, 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 not just in my teaching, but in our down moments, in our TV time, right. in our rest time, in those late night conversations. So again, this is where of, the Netflix circle gets completed right now. We've come back yes. to Netflix as a form of discipleship. So. <laughs> I am, I will say I am pro Netflix. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. It's probably damaging my brain. I am pro Netflix. Yeah. You're exactly right. So what is and isn't discipleship? You know, I teach, I'm an adjunct professor at um, Western seminary and the women's center for learning the women's center for ministry. And I teach a class on discipleship and evangelism. And one of the questions we go through is what is and isn't discipleship? Because Tyler, you're exactly right. For like for some people, it's Sunday school classes. It's a 12 week curriculum. It's your your confirmation course. And then for other people, community, you know, we over responded to that with this idea mm. of community. So as, if we're yeah, just hanging out in our backyard, 
then everything's discipleship. You know, if, if yeah, like you said, if you're just watching a movie with a non-Christian, that's discipleship. And so now what I really think we're trying to do in the church, and, and I know we won't do it perfectly, is find that balance that community is a part of discipleship, but community in and of itself is not discipleship. I don't think right. so. Um, and, and here's where I see the difference is um, if, if, if we define discipleship the way um, Sovereign Hope does or, or along the same lines of what I was saying, intentionally helping others trust and follow Jesus, then while we're not watching Netflix or listening to Reliant K, which, which is really funny because maybe most of our listeners don't even know. Like, that's yeah, how they probably don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting old and it's I think weird. I think the youth say now, if you know, you know, on this issue. Oh, okay. That's well, a thing like like a hashtag YKYK. If you know, and like I didn't know that because I'm not yeah. relevant and I'm you're not as cool as I am, and that's to yeah. be expected. Yeah. Oh, you're definitely everyone is more cool than me. I I try <laughs> to make it very clear. I'm like the least cool person you'll ever meet, and and I stand by that. Um, but uh, on this issue, it is, um. Yeah, if I'm with, if I'm walking in relationship with women who I've been um, intentional in, in sharing the gospel with them and helping follow Jesus, in, in shaping them with the word, um, in teaching them how to read their Bibles and teaching them how to pray, those types of things. At the same time, I believe that you need to build that relational capital. You need to have that with people and build that rapport. And so on the flip side of that, there is the watching Netflix and the having meals and the laughing and sitting outside and just laughing until your side hurts. But during that, if I'm intentionally seeking to do spiritual good to that person, then you know what? I think a movie night can fit absolutely beautifully within um, that category of discipleship. If I'm doing spiritual good to them, if I know, if I see that, um, if I see that person as someone that I'm really spiritually caring for, then I also know that, that like I'm super intense, but people just need time to breathe. We need space to absorb and breathe. And yeah. unlike I'm not doing that in this, I'm not giving people in this conversation space to breathe, but time to process. <laughs> so sometimes that means that in people I'm seeking to help follow Jesus, we watch Netflix and get some treats and, and, and it's really good. And you know what I find is before or after that movie, we probably have an amazing conversation, right. real, raw, authentic about what Christ is doing in our lives. Because I'm just, I do, I am someone who is always shaping everything, including my Netflix, including my meals with my husband, including when we invite people into that is, is this doing spiritual good to them? And I think you'd be surprised at how many things we could answer yes to that if we just are intentional with that time and with those things. So I do think Well, I think there's a good there's a good thing in what you say too that actually shapes what we won't do with other people too of that that construct of of is this doing spiritual good to them and it the, the irony is when you're thinking about in terms of that it also shapes, you know, your own habits and your own consumption patterns uh as Absolutely. well. And and there there's a there's a sense where I love what you're talking about because discipleship um, when you're viewing things through the gospel, it gives you multiple color palettes on which to choose. If all we did was paint something red, uh, it's hardly called a work of art. But the yeah. more the more different colors we have, there are primary colors and there are there are secondary colors that add depth and add texture to things. And so, having that robust um, is 
palette, right? That's the thing the artist has yeah. with the different, I don't know yeah, what the individual color splotches are called. Yeah. Um, but as long if we've got more of the splotches uh, yeah. uh, on that palette, that's good. Well, Whitney, um, one thing I, I wanted to talk to you about specifically, um, and it actually comes back to what you were talking about when you were talking about being invited into other people's, um, uh, like your your cousin Sam, right? That was his name. Yeah, yeah. Um, just just opening up and talking about things that you weren't even considering. And I think that's really important because it does two things. One, it shows that no one is, while we're all unique in God's image and you're, you're a radiant beam of sunshine, um, okay. none of us are unique. Um, we're all going to have the same struggles in life in different ways where you're going to run into questions that other people have. And so actually when people begin to verbally process things that might seem completely foreign to you, there might come a time in your life where it's like, that was an important discussion. And I'm so yes. glad. I mean, I mean, that's what the whole premise of, of Proverbs is. It's wisdom beforehand um, that yes. might seem unimportant now, but there will come a time where this is really important. Absolutely. And I think the discussion with you is really important because you have had a big transition in your life in the last five or six years that shapes how you do discipleship. And um, what I want to do is I want to give you, you know, maybe a minute to explain, because uh, we've seen in Whitney a desire for God's word, a desire to help other people. But in a sense, that has been complicated in the last five years with uh, suffering. So why don't you share with our listeners just a little bit of, of what you've been going through right now? Absolutely. And I, and I'll just say quickly, um, to help uh, kind of paint this picture, if we're going to go with the palette and, and make a beautiful picture, the, the analogy, yes. make a beautiful picture is, I, uh, I will just give my age away. I'm, I'm 34 now. Uh, and so I became a Christian close to 16, started in, um, vocational ministry actually right out of, um, high school. So I, I came on staff at a church, um, for discipleship and youth ministry at, at 18. So I've been quote unquote, um, like doing professional or vocational discipleship in many ways, even when I went off staff, that's been a heart and a passion of mine. So that's, that's something that I have this long, longer history of 15 plus years uh, of doing. So what's happened in the last um, five years is that um, ab about five years ago, I contracted Lyme disease unbeknownst to me, and it went undiagnosed for about two years. During that time, basically the wheels just came off my health. I, I thought I was losing my mind. And I want to say this pretty clearly because for listeners out there suffering, especially if you just have gotten an illness or you're just beginning to battle mental illness or a chronic pain, you think you're losing your mind because I was mm. young and vibrant and healthy. And all of a sudden, all I could think about was sleep. I would be in bed for 18 hours a day. I mean, this is someone that one of the highest energy people you could have ever right. met. Here I am in bed 18 hours a day. I, I couldn't think I, I was, I had just gone through grad school in four semesters. I went through grad school in four semesters and I couldn't, I, w I would open my Bible to read devotionally and I couldn't even put thoughts together. So what happened is over time, um, I just deteriorated. I, I had chronic mono. I had chronic infections. I had chronic brain fog. I had chronic fatigue. I had chronic pain, severe debilitating migraines. And when I say severe, I mean in the hospital, hospitalized for pain, um, losing my thoughts, um, my you know, face paralysis. I developed Addison's disease, which is just a severe disease of um, the uh, adrenal glands. Like right now, I don't make enough cortisol, that hormone, to be a human. And so I have to take supplemental um, cortisol. So uh, there, I have 
so many diagnoses, diagnoses right now. Um, it would take too much time this podcast. Uh, uh, and I have, I have like 10 plus true blue, like medical diagnosis and, and I'm probably six plus specialists. So in the last five years, mm. I finally got diagnosed with Lyme disease. It was late stage. It's an incredibly misunderstood, underfunded, underunderstood, undertreated um, disease. It's led to complications um, in every single part of my body, my brain, and it has affected everything. It has affected everything. Right now, I am not working at all. Um, right now, it is a mercy that I can show up on this podcast because I, I wake up each day, Tyler, and I have no idea what is going to face me. I don't know if I'm mm. going to be in bed all day. I don't know if I'm going to be throwing up. I don't know if I'm going to be so dizzy. I can't uh, drive. I don't, I, I don't drive that much. So I went from this independent, vibrant disciple maker to someone who honestly feels, um, benched. I feel like I've right. been, benched, right. I feel like, uh, my, my quote unquote sabbatical from, you know, I did a ton with the Bible project. I did a ton at Western seminary. My sabbatical is turning into an, uh, never ending sabbatical, uh, you know, I'm doing less and less and less because I just, I can't keep commitments. I can't, I, I don't know what my days are going to look like. And in the last year, the the biggest symptom I've had in the last year is horrific pain. And I was telling Tyler beforehand, but probably 25 migraine days out of a month, which is basically a full month of a severe migraine. And so um, my life in every way has been upended. So if you are someone struggling with physical illness, chronic fatigue, chronic pain, and mental illness, which has also been a big part of my story in the last five years, um, I understand mm. everything that, that someone who's listening might be thinking in their own hearts and, and that I haven't even spoken out and that they haven't spoken out. I understand. I might not have that exact same condition or the exact same diagnosis, but the feelings that accompany the accompany this type of suffering, uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, um, they tend to have overlap in, in just this under, in this big category of suffering. And I do understand that. And I think as you said, and you alluded to this in our conversation before this is like, it came out of nowhere. And so this is a really uh, unique conversation to have because we have a church with lots of churches by nature. A healthy church has unhealthy people in it. That includes both unhealthy spiritually and unhealthy physically. Um, but also it, like take this, uh, take heed that this could be you and having these kind of thoughts about how we might follow Jesus and help others do the same um, when we are uh, wounded ourselves is a really important discussion. I think it's John, John Bunyan who, who spoke of the blind man uh, whom Jesus healed. And he said the blind man could not keep a pace with Jesus, but Jesus could stand still and stay for him. And mm -hmm. what hope we have in a Jesus like that. And that in following Jesus, we're called to exercise that same sort of tenderness to those mm -hmm. who are around us. And so you see in scripture, you see in John chapter five, the man who was an invalid for 38 years. You see in Matthew nine, the woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, mm -hmm. that Jesus cared for chronic herders and sufferers. And so should, should the church. And so a question I have for you is to those who are actually healthy at the time being physically how would you encourage them in their efforts to help those who, for whatever reason, um, are limited physically in that time? And how do we help them follow Jesus 
frame our mind, our, our presuppositions yeah. for when we work with them. Yeah. And, and let me just say this. You're right in being wise in advance because um, what I, I mean, it struck me early. 28, this type of suffering came early. But one thing I know about life in a fallen world is 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 extraordinary suffering will come to every single one of us. It will come in the form of physical or emotional or perhaps deep grief. But to think that any of us are exempt uh, is to be unwise and foolish and, and ultimately be unprepared for when it does strike, which is one of the the, the first answers I think I have for you there in, in terms of what the church can do is just understand that that um, that there are people in that season right now, even if you are a pastor and you aren't in that season, or if you are a lay worker or a ministry caregiver or just a faithful member of the church, and if you're not in that season, to understand that that some people, maybe even a lot of people are. And so if you've ever been in that season, using your own experiences for empathy and understanding is a great resource. But if you have not yet had that season fall upon you, then to begin cultivating understanding now and mm -hmm. empathy now, I would say this is sounds very general and then we'll get to more practicals, but I tell people who haven't gone through this, I'll say it would be unrealistic of me to ask you to understand. And I think sufferers mm. need to be really careful about saying, just always saying, you don't understand, you don't mm. understand. I don't think that helps the dialogue. The truth of the matter is, is I don't want people to understand as in, uh, you know, i.e. they have gone through this too. I love people too much to wish this upon anyone. Right. Hmm. But sufferers need understanding. We need you to give us understanding. And this is going to come in so many forms, but it's going to come in the form of flexibility. If you're discipling us and loving us as a body and you have understanding that you, you might not understand exactly what it's like to wake up every day and have no idea what barrage of symptoms are just going to slam you. But if you, un if you can work to understand that that is a reality for me, that is a reality for someone else in your church, then mm -hmm. it, things that you're going to change, you're going to have more flexibility. So, hey, maybe we can still meet for some one-on-one -on -one Bible reading. But you know what? Everyone who still meets with me, it's um, either for if they're meeting for to disciple me or me meeting to disciple them or it's a mutual discipleship relationship – they have complete understanding. We set a time and they know the day of the, an hour before I might have to cancel. And I need them to know I'm not flaky. I'm not taking their time lightly. I'm not faking it. If I have to cancel on something, if I have to step back, it is because I'm in really bad place. So understanding there, understanding that I think the church is the absolute highest priority, but you know what? There's some Sundays I'm not there, not because I don't think it is I think the I think the local church is the way God works in this world. I think it is the, it is my highest commitment. I do everything all week so I can try to be there on a Sunday morning. But there's just times I can't be. And I need people to give me the benefit of the doubt to know I love the church. But if I'm not there, that means I'm in a type of pain where lights and music and stimulation is going to be so harmful that mm. I can't be there. I need the church to be understanding in that um, I'm, I, I'm not as energetic as before. I can't have three hour meetings. I can't be as devoted. I need the church to, 
to, so it's like under this, if you have understanding and empathy, the practicals begin to work out because like, here's an example, say not only could I had to cancel a meeting, but if that person really begins to understand me as a human and trust that, uh, trust me, what I'm saying at my word, I'm in that bad of a place, then not only are they going to be amazing and not make me feel guilty for canceling, they're going to understand I probably need something that day. So they might even go the extra mile to say, Mm. don't, don't worry about not meeting. Also, I'm going to drop off a meal to you and Neil tonight. Like, mm. I mean, that's when you really want to start talking about the church getting like really in tune to suffering. It's to think a step ahead of me. It's to, oh, it's good. not only to have understanding, but to know if I'm canceling something or if I'm at a church, you know what? Check in, send me a text. I might not text you right back, but if you didn't see me at church for two weeks, Check in, not because I'm a dirty sinner, but because you miss me. Tell me right. you miss me. You miss my presence. Mm. And tell me that you understand you must be in a really rough place. And then offer a meal. Offer um, to uh, watch the kids if some, uh, so someone could sleep if they have chronic fatigue. Offer to clean the house if they have pain. Um just a really practical example. And this is a very lavish example. So I don't know if this fits into everyday life, but someone um, in the church, and this is anonymous, a a pastor reached out to Neil and I, but um, they know I battle severe, severe pain and they anticipated a need, Tyler, I would have never thought of because they went through in their life, chronic pain. They anticipated that I would need a recliner, a good recliner for pain. Now, listen, because I'm all about feng shui, I've never had There's a lazy boy by nature in your living room. Yeah, I don't have a lazy boy. I've never had, you know, Neil and I always wanted to be stylish. Like I said, I used to be right. young before when I, when I got sick, I was I used young. to be young. Yeah. Maybe I was a tiny bit cool then, but I still think I was never cool, but I at least was young and somewhat stylish. I mean, you live in Portland. That's like six cool points already. So I, I do live in Portland, but it only highlights the fact that I'm really out of touch and totally <laughs> not cool. I, Someone called Neil a hipster pastor the other day, and we laughed because he's like, he looks the part, but he's the least hipster pastor I've ever met in my life. So we're old and uncool, but um, I will say this. So they, it was anonymous, but they so anticipated a need that I didn't even know I needed. And then when they found out how bad a pain I was going through, they understood and they bought us um, a, a, a recliner and they, it was anonymous. It was through a pastor. They gave us a certain allotment of money to buy a, re- so not only did they anticipate that I would need it, they let a, us pick it out to kind of be able to match our house. And can I tell you, since getting that recliner, I have not sat in anything else. I mean, like it has changed my life. It is yeah, the most amazing. That's so cool. But they they anticipated my need before I even knew it. I mean, it is such a beautiful, and that's a huge, I know that's a very generous thing, but to anticipate that a yeah. meal, um, a help, to know that I need, um, during COVID, most people um, picked up my prescriptions to understand that I'm getting I'm getting medicine like three times a week from a pharmacy. So during COVID, people got our groceries because we're we're a higher risk. Um, people have picked up our medicine. I mean, I could. There's a thousand practical ways, but it really falls under love, understanding, and empathy. If you can begin to attune your heart to that, then you can start thinking, what do these people need? And it can range anywhere from a recliner to a meal to um, space to needing to sit with someone when they're sick, find out when right. someone's suffering, 
find out, do they need someone holding their hand there or do they need space? I need space. When I'm in pain, I, I can't stand the thought of having someone sitting next to me holding my hand because I'm in excruciating pain. But some people need someone there to know they're not yeah. alone. So find out what they need. Um, and then just be a follower of Jesus by helping suffering saints. I'll just say this, Tyler. Life is so hard yeah, for everyone. But when you have the kind of limitations that I have right now, life is exceedingly hard. And I mean everything. I mean, if I, to open my eyes and to face another day as a follower of Jesus, it is so hard. And if the church can help mitigate that suffering, to relieve that suffering in the tiniest of ways, it keeps my faith going. It keeps me, it helps me, it disciples me. I, I, in the past, I would not have put maybe taking a meal to someone under that category of discipleship. And I was wrong for that. I, I, I really did not have a high enough view of how acts of service, acts of kindness, mercy, all of that fit into a well-rounded view and understanding of discipleship. And well, I'm sure there's, there's a, a degree in which every time you sit in that chair, like you're reminded of, of, of care given. And, uh, yes. and, and that reminds us of, I mean, that's, if we're helping people follow Jesus, uh, the primary means of that is pointing people to the gospel, which saves them as the gospel, which is saving them and the gospel, which will glorify them. And so in yes. those moments of uh, like, whether we are eating or whether we are sitting, um, we are being directed back towards the experience we have with our savior and Absolutely. we can trust him with that. So, and the, you know, the beauty of even that chair, it's exactly what you're saying. It enables me to get to read my Bible comfortably in a position that feel that I'm not holding up my head. So, I mean, uh, the, they'll probably never even know the full extent of how much yeah. that's discipling me, but they've enabled me um, to read my Bible and, and face another day through with the word of God through the gospel, because I can hold my head can be held up by a, a chair and I didn't anticipate. Yeah the need and someone else did. So just, um, don't, don't ever under, I'm not saying just buying people things, just running groceries is discipleship. But with, if that person hasn't, and if the church has an aim to discipleship and under that banner, um, they're doing all these things that can help suffering saints, then yes, that is a vital and indispensable part of the church discipling suffering saints. Some would say it's part of the palette. It's, it's part of the palette. On the flip side of that, someone who knows art is going to listen to this and they're just going to turn it off at this point. Um, yeah, so, I know. Someone yeah. like someone cool from Portland. Someone, some cool Portland hipster is going to be <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. uh, another question I have for you, and I want to split it into two parts, but I'll, and I'll give you those two parts right now. Um, and, and that is how do you encourage people who are the sufferers to engage in discipleship. And I, I want this to come from two angles. The first being the person who is doing nothing because they're using their real pain and no one wants to minimize that as an excuse to not do these things. But then the other being to the person who perhaps like you has a huge um, desire for this, but are wrestling with these newfound limitations and, are, and aren't resting in those. Yeah, those are amazing questions. Gosh, uh, let's do, how about a 10-part podcast? Uh, on, <laughs> All right, yeah. Join us next week for Discipleship Yes, discussions. yes. Wendy's yeah. has four hours for you. Um, no, let me say this, and I think this, I think this will help. As a disciple of Jesus, 
I am always a disciple of Jesus, which means if his call is to to go and make disciples, if I'm to be a disciple who makes disciples, then that means whatever I'm going through, whether it's a battle with mental illness, whether it's a battle with physical illness, whether it's young kids, older kids who are wayward, whatever that, that thing is, it doesn't mean I stop being a disciple of Jesus. So one of the biggest things that anyone who's suffering has to grapple with, if they are a believer, if they're a follower of Jesus, they have to understand that the Great Commission, I had to understand, the Great Commission still applies to me. So my call, my calling is still to make disciples. I'm doing no vocational ministry right now. I'm not working, you know, for Gary Brashears at Western. I'm not writing for the Bible Project right now, but I'm still a disciple maker. And I'm going to get really practical here in a second. But you have to start with that understanding. And that's what helped me. I went into suffering knowing that whatever I faced in life, like, like my calls to make disciples who make disciples. So what I learned through suffering is that you just have to get a lot more creative um, mm-hmm. to do that. And I'm going to speak to that right now, that just that creativity. But yeah. I do want to speak to that person who feels like, I just I just can't. I, d- I just can't make disciples right now. But, but I, I just want to say, and I want to say with so much understanding, more understanding than anyone could get really in, in, in a 30, 40, 50-minute podcast. But um, uh, uh, if you're a disciple of Jesus, that is still your call. Saints, mm. that is still your call. So um, with that, the way I have had to curate and, and be creative about this is things like um, I, my number one way I make disciples right now, I feel like is praying for people because mm, I can pray so for good. people laying in bed. I can pray for people in my recliner. I can pray for people when I have insomnia. I can, and I listen, don't think I'm so spiritual. These are not... <laughs> Three hours of prayer caught up into heavenly intercession. It means that I'm laying on my bed of affliction, my sick bed, and I'm crying out to God for me. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. And then you know what? Five people who are battling cancer in my church come to mind. And so I'm praying, help her, Jesus, go through this. Give her faith. Strengthen her, Jesus. I'm I'm praying for the people that I had good, solid discipleship relationships going into suffering with. I may not be able to meet every week with those people, but I stay in contact with them via text, via FaceTime. And I'm praying. That's the first thing. And that's really the last thing. That's the fullest thing I'm doing right now to make disciples is I am praying for people. And people know this because people mm. reach out to me with specific requests. Suffering saints have just immediately uh, connected with me. There's just that point of contact right off the bat of understanding and empathy. So I am discipling other people who've been thrown into suffering overnight, you know, because I was thrown in, but I'm five years in now. So those people who all of a sudden their whole lives have just been brought out from underneath them, they immediately know they can reach out to me. And I, and I see that as a part of my discipleship ship making ministry is praying them through their radiation and, chemo, and, and chemotherapy, praying them through um, getting on antidepressants or getting off antidepressants because that's very scary, praying them through, talking them through, even if it's via text, because text is the texting. I know, listen, I know, Tyler, that in a perfect world, discipleship is not digital and disembodied. But for anyone who was unwilling to engage me via FaceTime or texting a year ago, um, COVID has shown the whole world that there is a common grace, there is a mercy in in in. The Some would di- say it's on our palate. 
It's on our palate. It's on our palate now. And, and you know what? Part of that understanding for, for people in discipleship relationships with me is knowing that I might have to text because maybe I can't call. Maybe that's too much for my pain. But I can lay in bed and I can text verses. I'm, I'm in so many text feeds of, of different people that I would say, yes, we're absolutely in a discipleship relationship. I text them what I'm reading that day. I text them prayers. We FaceTime. Guess what? If you're okay with FaceTiming me and seeing me in my bed without makeup, looking like <laughs> legit hood rat, like if you're okay with that, I'm okay with that. And, and you know what? Mm. To suffering saints out there, you're going to have to get more comfortable with that. You're not going to show up perfect. You're not going to have your makeup on. You're not going to have your house clean. But if I'm still called to make disciples of Jesus, I don't have the energy to both clean my house and meet with someone, but I might have the energy to meet with someone. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be free enough in the gospel that my house is going to be messy. I haven't washed my hair for seven days. And someone's going to come over and I'm going to speak the word of God into their life because that That's might good. be what I have the energy to do. So anything from praying, texting, FaceTiming, um, and then what other people, I'll just say what other people has have told me has been so encouraging to me, and I would have never thought this, is people, I've had more emails, texts, and, and handwritten letters of people telling me that persevering and suffering has taught them um, like more than when I was t- about Jesus than when I was like teaching on stage, you know, week in and week out. So, so at two suffering saints, if you are suffering faithfully, if you are getting up to fight another day, if you are fighting the good fight of faith, facing another day, um, believing that Jesus is going to be sufficient for that day, that actually, like, it seems maybe like a passive form of discipleship, but that is discipling people. If you show up to church, hurting and broken and barely there, you're there. I have people text me. I saw you at church today. It was, it encouraged my faith so much. So like, I didn't even, I didn't even have that category before people told me that was a category that I was helping them follow Jesus in was just persevering through suffering. So for anyone laid out in a bed of affliction right now, if you have woke up to face another day and you are loving Jesus and you are hang if you have just endured today and it has sucked and everything about it has sucked but you have endured that is likely ministering to someone and discipling someone about how to follow Jesus and so don't underestimate just facing another day in the power of the gospel what that might do for other people yeah well and i think that that's so encouraging because it is like and that's uh and maybe this is me segueing to that that second part of the question for those who who feel the limitations that are on them um and feel like because they have this in their life that they are not doing what God has called them to do or they are crippled from doing what God has called them to do it makes me think of uh Zechariah 4:10 it says forever has decided by the day of small things shall rejoice for they shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. And there's this real sense to where you don't know if and when God will remove this burden from you, but by death, you know, that there will be a day where you will be free from all of this. And so how can you teach people who are in the days of the small things to not despise them? To, to draw hope that this is that, that your heavenly father knows what you're in, that he has equipped your capacity in this as well. Um, and I could say that to somebody, but I'm relatively healthy. And, and, but there is something of where a fellow 
sufferer um, who has had to draw daily from that well of hope um, that uh, that I think I'd like to hear from you. Yeah, I, that was so beautifully put, and I really appreciate that, Tyler. And and it is true. I'm not saying that you have to go through everything to be able to speak into it. But my husband is a is a pastor. He's in seminary right now. He's he's the head over all these things. He's in discipleship relationships. He's working. He's doing all these things. And you know, he tells me not to like to rest. And I'm like, that's so easy for you to say because you're right. living out your calling. You're doing, you're thriving and flourishing in what you were created to do. And I feel that everything I was made to do has been taken. Mm-hmm. I not get to teach the word consistently to not be able to meet one-on-one for discipleship. It does, like I said, it feels like you're benched. It feels like you're damaged. It feels like, and sometimes the church plays into this and we need to really work on this. That goes back to the part one, but it feels like you're, you're forgotten and and that you're no longer useful because in the church, we so often gravitate towards high productivity people. We, we have a lot, the church has a lot of needs. Leaders have a lot of needs. So it's so easy to gravitate towards those people who have high output. And I used to be that person. So I know what it's like. I know what it's like to need high output people. And I know what it's like to be a high output person and to be, um, needed. Uh, and now I know what it's like, um, if, if just even by accident to be forgotten and to be Mm. on the fringe and to be, um, you know, not bothered, um, with, with, ministry because she probably can't even do it. So why even ask her? You know, I told someone once, please, you know, I may have one foot in the grave, but please don't like put me in and put the dirt over top me before I'm done. I want to still do this. But let me tell these people, because I'm running into uh, specifically, I will say this. I'm running into a lot of women who have autoimmune disorder disease, much like mine, who are high performing, the high performing type A perfectionist. And and suffering, um, they, we, I personally, and I see it in them, we've just become, we become increasingly militant with ourselves. We think if we can just strong arm ourselves into doing discipleship, into meeting with someone, into being at church, then like, then our bodies will get on board. And what I've learned through this is that like your willpower is finite, your ability is finite, and there are times where, um, there are, there are things bigger than you that overtake you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not getting to your answer. So the point is that there are going to be times where you truly can't mm-hmm. do something. Like you can't. And it might be not just not do one thing. It might be for five years, you can't do yeah. tons of things you genuinely feel like you're called to do. Um, and that's confusing and that's perplexing. And there's a whole issue there about how we wrestle with God through lament and mourning with that. And I think that's right and true. But the advice I want to give is that if you are in Christ, then you have entered. It's, what is it? Is it Hebrews 2 or Hebrews 4 that you have entered? You have already entered into a Sabbath rest. And we know there is there is still a Sabbath rest to come. Like you yes. said, I hope at the full resurrection that that. That mo- every day I get up because I know resurrection is coming. That mm. is my final hope. That is the hope that keeps me going. 
But even now, if you are in Christ, we have entered into a Sabbath rest so we can rest from our works. Our works, even our discipleship, is not what makes us approved before God. It's not what gives us peace and rest. What I learned is I used to rest after I did my allotted amount of ministry. So I did X, Y, and Z, and that gave me rest. Uh, through. Wow, that's good. That has been taken away. So what has been, and so what happened was for a season, I went into so much turmoil because I realized what I thought was rest in Christ had so much to do with the amount of output I was putting into the amount of discipleship, how much I was doing, how well I was doing it. When you can't do a lot of those things, you're really forced to grapple with is Christ sufficient? If I have entered into that rest where I can rest from works for a season, if God himself has ordained this season for me, I have tried everything. I have been wise. I have sought medical treatment. We are, this is not laziness. This is not lack of trying. I, my doctors have said like, you are the most heroic patient we've ever seen. We don't know why you're not getting better. So at a certain point, I see that God has allowed this into my life. And God at this point has not relieved it. So God is calling me in Christ to a period of rest. And so I can rest spiritually. I have ceased. We should all believe this, but I have to believe it now. And sufferers have to believe this now. We have entered into a rest from any type of work that would draw us near to God. And the suffering saint has to not just know that, but believe that enough that he or she can take a nap when her body says to take a nap. She can seek treatment when her body says to do treatment. This I can take a sabbatical because this season I'm on all sorts of medicines that it's a little bit like chemotherapy, though I'm not making a one-to-one. You feel worse before you get better. And so you know what? I need margin around all that treatment. So I have to trust and rest in Christ's finished work for me enough that today I might not be able to meet with that person. Today, yeah. maybe I can only text that person. Maybe today I can only pray for three minutes for that person. But, and you know what? Let me just say this. Today I might do nothing. I might do nothing for someone else. I, I wish someone would have told me that sooner. You're going mm. to have days where all your energy is put into staying alive. My life right now, staying alive, getting my this, every system in my body to work is my full-time job right now. Even as I know I'm called to make disciples. Rest is huge. And so I theologically had to understand true rest in Christ before I could let myself sleep 10 to 12 hours a night, which is what I need, before I could let myself nap an hour to a day, which is what I need. And so you might think those two are totally unrelated, but theology, this is a whole different podcast, is is a part of everyday life. Your theology should affect your life. So when I realized Christ really has done it all. When I was that 15 year old Tyler, not seeking God, opposed to God, alienated from God, and God saved me through Christ and he did all the work. I didn't question that. It's so weird how we get formed as Christians when we're in Christianity long enough. We've really, it's so subtle, but we begin to believe that our works do commend us to God. And you can no longer do those spiritual works that really unconsciously were commending you before God. You have to believe the gospel, and in believing the gospel, um, it frees you to rest. And for suffering saints, I, I know I don't know every single thing they need, like their prescriptions, their diagnoses, all those things. But I know for all suffering saints, you need an enormous amount of rest, 
more rest than you ever imagined was possible because you are crazy limited. And that means um, trusting the sufficiency of Christ's work. Like I said, to take naps, to take days off, to take a sabbatical. And I think that probably goes well beyond even just physical suffering. I probably think that probably speaks to everyone, including just pastors who are healthy. Yeah, no, I think I've always said, and I think that's a man, what an encouraging because of the very thing you just said, that uh, as someone who is relatively healthy, it's like, these are things I need to hear. And, and uh, everyone needs to hear because, because I always say that the paradigm of this world, um, I think it's always been there, but now it's just more categorized in terms of, you know, in uh, when, uh, you know, William Wilberforce was writing letters to abolish slavery in the late 1700s. He had no uh, Instagram to take a picture of it and show how hard he was working where now we do. And we're justified, we're justified by our works um, or by our adventures or by our, our beauty or by our sports scores or whatever it is. And the world promotes um, an insanity of pace, but the gospel is an insanity of grace. Um, that we actually, we rest in, in the midst of it. And there are seasons of pace, but if, if, if that is the barometer of it, then, uh, and it's based off that Hebrews passage, then you'll never find rest. But the insanity of grace is that you actually can stop. You can say no to Mm. all of the things that are going on, not because Christ has freed you to be lazy or to be idle, but because you recognize that when those limitations of sleep, God made us to sleep, Mm -hmm. um, that those are things that are meant to remind us, you see in Psalms, that we are God's beloved, um, Mm -hmm. that that we can wake up and guess what? The world is still turning and God is still Lord. And, uh, and uh, that is, that is a great reminder for us. So, Thank you so much for your thoughts on this, Whitney. I think we could talk for another hour more. I know, um, I know. But and we might, you know, you you keep saying that, and I might set up another podcast at some point. Um, yeah, just we'll but, cut all of this. We'll cut down to uh, Instagram's ten minute videos. Uh, no, uh, well, no. In finishing, I would. I just want to say because we don't have a ton of time. Um, I have found so many books unhelpful on this. And, and in fact, I um I have found so many books unhelpful on suffering. They make me feel so condemned and so mm. guilty um, that my list of books I recommend is so short. Um, but there is a professor who his wife um, went through uh, went through cancer and then deals with chronic pain and probably will until the day she dies. And it has been the best book I've read so far. And it's called um, Embodied Hope by Kelly Capick. I don't know if your readers love um, resources, but Embodied yes. Hope by Kelly Capick, K-A-P-I-C. He is a scholar and theologian, but he is very intimate to the situation. And he just talks about how the body can help suffering saints, how did, how um, um, the gospel can help, how not just preaching the gospel to ourselves, but actually when we can no longer do that, how other people can preach the gospel to us. So it's kind of all within that framework of, of making disciples. That has been really the one book that has encouraged me. And then um, in terms of demystifying discipleship, the easiest, shortest read that I'm sure you already have your people read is um, Discipling by Mark Dever. Gosh, yeah. that that's super simple. You could, Even I could read it in this season of my life. Right. So that is another book that I highly commend per our earlier podcast conversation about just basic discipleship. Well, I have, in light of those lightning resources, I, I do a lightning round at the end. And so uh, oh, I've got four sorry. lightning. Ra- no, 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 no. Because I, th- I don't think you you uh, you stole some of my thunder. But to keep the metaphor, you didn't steal any of my lightning. Um, so uh, uh, 
four questions for you to be answered uh, in brief. Number one, what is your favorite activity that you can use on your palette of discipleship now that we've established that metaphor? My fa- um, and, and I'll say favorite non sitting down, studying God's word, reading a book together activity. Oh, come on, one to one. Those are com- those are coming. Those are coming. Shh, don't say anything. Okay, yet, okay, 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 okay. Um, having having redemptive conversations. Every single conversation you have can be turned redemptive, and so I think people don't understand that. So, um, my favorite way. Uh, the non uh, on my palette of discipleship is just it's the writing in the car and talking about a song. It's it's watching Netflix and talking about a message that it, an agenda it was promoting. So just turning that I can I literally I'm like you know six steps to like what six degrees to Kevin Bacon. I'm like yeah. six degrees to redemptive conversation. I believe that all of life um, is an opportunity to learn about God, and so doing that with people is probably one of my favorite things. That's great. This podcast has been brought to you by Netflix at this point. Um, (laughs) Favorite book of the Bible to do one-to-one Bible reading with? To do one-to-one Bible reading with, um, I know the book suggests Mark. So if you need a guide, if you use Dave Helm's one-to-one Bible reading book to get a guide, use Mark because it has the questions. If you're super nervous and don't even have the questions, you're not comfortable with it, use Mark. I like doing Colossians. So my favorite is Colossians because it is just so Christ-centered and so much about Christ's sufficiency and supremacy that it just makes my heart like tickled to help to let to lead someone else to discover that high view of Christ is is just awesome. So I've done one-to-one reading with Colossians more times than I can count. Yep. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. One of the greatest promises in all of scripture. Uh, Favorite non-biblical book to read with somebody for discipleship. Oh, that's tough because I'm I I oh I don't have an answer because I, I I let that be 100% guided by the need. So if it's about sexuality, um, I I like um, oh I'm just losing I I, I the the plausibility structure. Who am I thinking of? Ed Ed Shaw, I believe. Same sex Sounds attraction, good. the plot, the surprise, same sex attraction, the surprise, the surprising plausibility uh, uh, right celibacy. Yeah, so I believe that's okay. Ed. So, so that's just one example. It's going to be 100% um, tailored right. to the need. New, new growing Christian is the context. New growing Christian. Oh, gosh. Uh, um, actually, the new one I'm doing is Habits of Grace by Dave, uh, David Mathis. Um, yep. Because I, I really like to do spiritual disciplines. That's the one of the, with the new growing Christian, if they've learned to read the Bible, the next thing I want to do is kind of expose them to spiritual disciplines. But Donald Whitney's is the classic, but it's yep. like 20 disciplines. And I think new growing Christian, way too overwhelming. So yep. something like Habits of Grace by David Mathis would be like super, would be, is probably a book I'd go to. All right. I, I, and I understand you, I think have some dietary restrictions and things for health stuff right now, but your favorite place to eat in Portland. Oh, Portland's food is so amazing. I know. Yeah. Um, I think I could give you a thousand, but I think Neil and I's all time favorite is probably screen door. It's this amazing, um, Cajun mashup of the, just it is well. It's like people come from all over the world and stand in line for like two hours for their chicken and waffles, and mm. uh, they do gluten free chicken, and it's just as good. So, boom! I'm gluten free is one of the things. 
Screen Door. <laughs> if you ever visit Portland, you have to go to Screen Door. It is the right now they're just doing takeout, obviously, but they are infamous and uh, infamous. And most times I say don't wait for an hour, but if you get a chance, wait for an hour and eat their fried chicken. All right. Well, that's good. Well, next time I'm in Portland, uh, you and Neil and Sarah and I will go order out Screen Door chicken. Screen door yet? All the time you've been here and you well, have No, all these times. No one's ever told me Screen Door. Oh, I always get so like, uh, I know. I, I feel like I've experienced a lot, but that was a new one. So, well, thank you so much for your yeah. time, Whitney. We'll be praying for uh, you, for your health stuff. I know you had a doctor's appointment right before this. Um, pray yeah. you get rest after this. Pray for your and Neil's ministry in Portland and what a privilege it is uh, to help each other follow Jesus. And so thank you again. Oh, thank you so much, Tyler. I appreciate it. I've, I've learned a ton from you, even just in this so well-spoken, very funny. And I need, I have just realized I need a podcast voice now. You have a great podcast <laughs> I will need to work on developing my podcast voice. Yeah, it's the soft, dulcet tones that you need. Yes, this is Wendy Wollertson. Yeah, no, I I am very grateful for you letting me have a voice to this. And um, I prayed for your church beforehand, and we'll be praying for this series that would be fruitful and effective.